It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and my protege, Bliss Young. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I got to get the business out as always. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on uh, drstuespodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can give us five stars. You can email me at askdrstu at gmail.com. You can like, uh, you can email bliss at birthingbliss.com. And I'm now on Instagram at Instagram and Facebook under birthing bliss midwifery. And I'm under birthing instincts uh, on, on Instagram. Awesome. And my Instagram is sort of linked directly to my Dr. Stu's Facebook page. Yes, that's cool. I don't know how I did that, though. It sort of just automatically did that by itself. They are from the same place, so they're very connected. I didn't tell Alexa to do it or anything. It just, no, it's sort of (laughs) sneaky that they do that sort of thing. It's rather scary. It's like, how do they know? Did I tell you that in my car I can press a button and and tell it pretty much any song, record, or artist, and it will play it? That's no. pretty cool, isn't it? So this is a new a new thing in your car? Yeah, it's connected to my phone, and I have Apple Music, and so I can say Fleetwood Mac, and it'll play it, or Elton John, or a specific song. Can I do that in my car? I don't know if your car has, is as cool as my it's a car. Smart, it's a smart car. Does it connect to your phone? Yeah. Yeah, try it. So who do I say it to, though? What button do I push? It's on my it's on my steering wheel, and if I press it, Siri comes up, and she just basically oh. wants. And I can also check my calendar. I can ask for movie show times. I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, do you have a new car? Yeah, it's oh. on my car. Well, I know, but I didn't I didn't know if it was. I needed to get a new car because I upgraded, so I could make room for all my equipment in the back. Your gear, yeah, mm-hmm. and be able to hide your gear too. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've had a couple midwives have their equipment stolen out of their car so i'm pretty nervous yeah you know and i walk sure i drive safe. around with a twenty five thousand dollar ultrasound machine in the back of my car too so yeah right i yep. told you that there was a, a person in my house this week right yes you did. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> yeah somebody just like he stole walked, your xbox he stole my son's xbox and he i guess we left the front door open and he walked in and Found my bedroom oasis, lit candles, smoked marijuana on my bed, and put a movie in my computer. Pretty creepy. Yeah, but the weird thing is that when you came home, he wasn't there. But the weird thing is he came back. Yes. He came back because <laughs> my, my neighbor had actually spoken to him before he came to my place. He liked and, your place. And he said the same spiel. Yeah, I think he came it's back. like Goldilocks. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he knows now. I'm, I'm well, the scary part was you called the police. They didn't even. Sh- they didn't even. The like, second show time up. they didn't show up. Yeah, it kind of sucks. But anyways, moving right. on. Right. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm safe. So, have you bought a handgun yet? No, no handguns right. in my house. But we're locking the doors. <laughs> That's a good you, start. Oh, yeah, and we we talked about you getting a uh, like a camera doorbell. Yeah, what's that thing called? Ring. That's Ring. my my hairdresser's husband is a police officer in Santa Monica, and she said that's what he recommends for everybody because even if they cover it up or take it off, they have a, you have a recording on your phone before they even get to the door. Yeah, they have to walk up to do it mm-hmm. unless they sneak unless they sneak around the side, mm-hmm. and they got to be pretty sophisticated to do that which is or you can have have a nanny cam hidden somewhere inside the house too i like this because i haven't been trusting my son that he's actually walking the dog so i can actually see when people leave and come so i can spy on him too well um, i don't have alexa but do you have alexa in your house no okay because if you have alexa and couldn't you have alexa not say like who's here and if it's not a voice that they recognize could they like send an alarm to the to the police department or something like that? I don't like know. I don't know all that. 
But my dog didn't even make a fuss. What, what's the point of having a dog if he's going to just let somebody hang out in your room? Well, how do you know he didn't make a fuss? You weren't there. Because my neighbors are very nosy and they oh, said they, they never barking? heard her. Mm-mm. Why do you think the dog, does a dog bark at strangers usually? Yeah, it goes crazy for the mailman. Like, like well, they all, yeah, dogs, dogs all, go, all bark at mailmans. Well, if some stranger walks into my house, I would expect that she would have done something, but no. She did Unless not. he maybe came in with a little bit of like hamburger meat that's or something like that. That's what someone said. Wow, so that's, anyway, a bit, that's a bit freaky. Very that, strange. That's a bit freaky. I'm glad I live on the 39th floor. <laughs> really? It can't, can't happen to me. All right? No, no. By the way, they're remodeling the lobby in my building. Okay? It's just a, like a little room. It's like the twice the size of John's studio here. Mm-hmm. Okay? Two months. Wow. My lobby's closed for two months. Super fancy. I have to go in the other side. All the way around? No, the other side, then up to the second floor, uh, then walk across and up the elevator. But, you know, it's I can't imagine what, what could possibly take two months to do that. Mm-hmm. Hope it blows your socks off when, when well, they I'm wondering the why reveal. they're doing it. I'm wondering if, like, some of the tenants complained. Because oh, it was perfectly fine, the yes, lobby. It had a beautiful it chandelier. Beautiful. It had beautiful flowers. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Comfy sofas. I don't, know, I, I don't know why sometimes I need to spend money on stuff. I know. I understand why school districts do it. My mother used to complain that, you know, they 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 didn't have money to pay the music teacher or the gym teacher, but they had money to like, like, build a uh, an auditorium in a school that they were going to have to sell next year. Um, so they had money in the building fund, but they couldn't take the money from the building fund and put it into the teacher salary fund. And this was back way back when. So, so silly. it hasn't gotten any better, anything like that. So silly. Well, let's see. Um, would big, you, big would news. you like me to read my? No, I got to talk about my, my my another publication first. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Right. So I think I might have mentioned uh, at some point in previous podcast about my interesting set of uh, twins where the first one was Breach and the second one was Vertex. And I did post on Instagram, um, I think it was on the 12th of February, so people can scroll back to that. And uh, a picture of the babies now that 10 months old. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I had always joked that the, the idea that interlocking heads, there's a classic picture that every midwife and every medical student or resident sees where the ba- one baby's chin is stuck on the other baby's chin mm-hmm. in breech vertex twins, and that's why you wouldn't do that. But there's much, liter- much literature that says that that doesn't happen. It's not a problem. And so I sort of always scoffed at it and it wasn't going to happen. And then, it, and then it happened to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of my sort of, I give myself credit for the knowledge of breach delivery and spatial relationships and knowing what you can do with your hands. I was able to reach up and push baby B's head out of the way and slip baby A's head past baby B's head and uh, uh, precipitate the, the, the normal delivery of both the twins. And because it was such a unique thing for me, I wrote a case report. And, you know, I suffered the usual rejections from the American journals. Uh, well, one journal, I submitted it to one journal and sort of got a, a scoffing comment from the reviewer as to, well, why would anybody do a breach first twin? So why would we want to publish this crap? That, right, uh, I'm paraphrasing now, people. So <laughs> that's not what he said. There was much more professional than that. Like he called it junk, I think. Not much <laughs> Junk instead of crap. Yeah. Um, but my whole point was, and my very first sentence in the paper is, whether planned or precipitous, a breach first twin may f- come, you know, may, you may come in with the head stuck inside. So even though, you know, he might not, the reviewer might not plan to do a breach first twin, 
the the tragedies that happen in this situation are preemies often that will come in with the first twin hanging out of the vagina and the head is stuck and by the time they do anything that baby is dead mm. and so anyway i i uh finally found an international publication where we pay a certain amount of money to make it public so that people don't have to go through PubMed and pay for it. And it's now published. It came out last week, which will probably, by the time this podcast comes out a couple weeks ago. And uh, people can find it on my um, website at birthinginstincts.com. There's a banner at the very top, uh, on top of the other banner for my breach paper, on top of the other banner for my home birth paper. (laughs) So I've now been published uh, three times, not including letters to the editor. That makes me feel pretty good about it and uh i got a really good feedback i got a nice note from anka ritter who's one of my heroes in frankfurt germany she used to work with frank lewin uh two of the best breach people i know and uh you know gail tully who's uh spinning babies Mm -hmm. and it's like a lot of people are sharing it so it's very interesting so i'm hoping that it's somewhere down the road some you know maybe some baby will be saved because i got to uh publish a case report on this very unique thing. And the, I want to thank uh, Katie and Bobby, the parents um, of the babies, for allowing me to post pictures and, and discuss their birth publicly and all that stuff. They've been great. And they sent me just uh, new pictures of the kids at 10. And the baby's names are Clayton and Kennedy. 10 months. 10 months Not old. 10 years, yeah, no, 10 years old. Yeah, 10 months old. And it's so exciting to see them growing up Thriving. beautiful and happy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good news. So uh, and you went to Sarah Pereira's twins, uh, two, two birthday party. They, they yeah. just turned two, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I saw Catalina there with her with her baby. Catalina was your student. Yeah, both my students last year had babies. Yeah, Tessa had a baby, and Catalina had a baby before her. Yeah, Catalina's so, already uh, back to being a student. I have I have a, several applications now for new students, mm-hmm. and I think within the next couple months I'll be having a, a new student, probably somebody from Hawaii. From the Gold Midwife School. One of the ones I met? No. Okay. No, no. This was somebody I just met last month when I was there doing the Breach Conference. Oh, cool. The ones you met are already out doing their thing. As a matter of fact, Carly. They're already midwives? Well, no. Some of them are doing their student things all over the place. uh Gracie's Gracie's still in um, Hawaii, but everybody else is scattered. And and Carly, who you met, got married, Mm. and she's now pregnant. Yay. Congratulations. she's, she's She's in Iowa. So, <laughs> Carly, I hope you're having fun in Iowa. <laughs> I have family in Iowa. No, Iowa's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a, how, how can I complain? I'm from Minnesota, so it's the same thing. Do you know, do you know what we, uh, we play Iowa in football in the Big Ten? And you know what we play for? I don't know anything Floyd about of any Rosedale. Of that. I don't know what it's that It's a means. pig. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys would win a pig? The, the winner of the game gets to keep Floyd for a year. And take very good care of him. Yes, and then and then we play Michigan. We play for the little brown jug, and we play Wisconsin. We play for Paul Bunyan's axe. I think you should explain what my face looks like now, because <laughs> <laughs> you described it so she's beautifully. Got, she's got a lot of forehead wrinkles right now. It's like uh, no. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I'm excited about that publication. Um, my next publication will be a while, but it will probably be on home twins. Oh yeah, because you did a breach, and now you can do twins. Right. I want to get a few more numbers before I publish it because even if I get a few more numbers, it still won't reach statistical significance, but I still want to put it out there. So uh, I want you to talk about the fact that when we take care of twins, they often go to term, if not past term. 
Oh, yeah. My average twins are 39 weeks in one day. Yeah, because people always talk about their twins are going to come early. I'm like, you know, I don't really think that's true. Well, the number well, well the number one reason for, trans, for transfer of care with twins mm-hmm. for me was preterm labor. Mm-hmm. Usually around 33 or 34 weeks. Um, but the the ones that go, the average was 39 weeks in one day. Mm-hmm. Now, in the obstetrical medicalized world, um, they want to induce your twins by 37, if not 38 weeks at the very latest, because they talk about an increased risk of, of uh, neonatal or perinatal death with, or stillbirth, I guess, with twins. And that's true, but that's true with singletons as well. The longer right. you go, the more likely that is to happen. But as I always say, twice a very small number is still a very small number. And so when we give people informed consent about waiting, we talk about the pros and cons of waiting versus the pros and cons of induction. And also, I trust the biophysical profile and the NST. And if the biophysical profile and NST are normal on both twins, in other words, they get a score of 10 out of 10, then waiting three more days is perfectly reasonable. Just like a singleton. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's not perfectly reasonable, then why are you even doing the biophysical profile? If you think that 38 weeks is a cutoff, then... You know, if you believe the biophysical profile is okay at 37 and a half weeks and you wait till 38 weeks and it's okay again, why couldn't you wait to 38 and a half? Mm-hmm. All right. But mm-hmm. th- there's no, again, it's one of those sort of things where I don't think it's really thought out as to why people do what they do. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. We, we didn't really want to go off into twins. I just wanted to talk about my paper that's out. And um, again, research is not my greatest thing, but ever since I sort of teamed up with Rick Safries for the for the um, breach paper. Uh, I feel like if I want to do another paper, it'll be easy because I'll just dump it on Rixa. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the data. Go. (laughs) Well, you know, Rixa, what she's doing right now is great. She's been, she's so involved with breach and she's getting these breach seminars now with David Hayes from South Carolina. And I'm going to do one with her in Kansas this year. I think it's September. But she is collating, you know, my home breach data. There were only 50 breach births. But there are two midwives in the country. I know Cynthia Calais is one of them in Wisconsin, and the other one I think is in Pennsylvania, um, who've done over 500 breaches in their career mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they never kept stats. Mm. I mean, they have the charts. So Rixa is trying to get that because getting 1,000 She's going to go back and look at the charts? Oh, yeah, charts? she's going to do oh, it. Oh, that's amazing. She's going to do it. Amazing. Yeah. She's a statistical maniac, if there is such a thing. Amazing. Well, yeah. she's obviously so I committed her, to I something, I give her credit. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's found, a, she's found a really good niche. I mean, she's really knowledgeable on this subject. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's almost nobody. Just like sort of like Jen Camel is like the most knowledgeable person on VBAC. Mm-hmm. Um, Rixa is really knowledgeable on history of breach and breach statistics and pretty much has collated every modern paper in almost every foreign country on breach birth. Hmm. So she's got it. She's, you know, she's got it all down. It's amazing. Anyway, you got something for us. What do you got? Um, well, I got, I got my very first, uh, fan letter directly. So I, I got very excited. So they, so they send it to birthing bliss.com mm-hmm. bliss at birthing bliss.com. Right, and the it. title says convicted, which was really good because I opened it because I thought, did someone actually get convicted? A conviction or convicted? It's convicted. Um, oh. So she says, hi, Bliss. I'm a new listener to you and Dr. Stu. And man, I got to tell you, I'm hooked. I'm a new L&D nurse. And I wanted to ask you. Do Did you we get kn- a first name, by the way? 
Yep. Justine. Justine, okay. Um, do we get a lot of nurses? Or I thought we were mostly like home birth, midwives, that kind of thing. But this is a L&D nurse. I think labor and delivery nurses are becoming more common. Like at the, at the Hawaii conference, we had, I think, one uh, labor and delivery nurse that attended. Yeah, great. So um, if you're an L&D nurse, I want you to share with your other L&D nurses because I got really excited about this. So she says, I'm a new L&D nurse about 18 months in, and I'm so passionate about women and how amazing we are and how beautiful childbirth is. My goal is to become a CNM just applied to schools and get the heck out of hospitals. But I got to say your podcasts are convicting in a good way. I decided to reach out once I listened to number 130 and you spoke about how Pitocin was infused after delivery without consent. Bliss, I do this so often without even realizing it. And when I am back at work this week, you better believe I will be explaining it and asking my patients permission. It made me so happy. Oh, that's that's like, Amazing. What does my face look like right now? You're beaming. (laughs) We make a difference. It's so cool. So many times we are caught up. And I thought this was awesome that she was so um, honest about it and and conscious about it and and gave me an explanation of why this may happen. You know, I always tell people these are not evil people. They don't have bad intentions. It's just different perspectives and how they're managing things. So she says, so many times we are caught up with the doctors, with what, with what the doctors want and what the EFMs are showing us. And we forget our moms and it's disheartening. It's disheartening to see nurses not get their patients out of bed and make them use a bedpan at one centimeter because they are ruptured. It's so frustrating. I'm on a committee to change this though. And she has a little finger cross emoji. So I want to thank you guys for the stories and knowledge you are providing through our po- your podcast. Oh, wow. I can't wait to drive to San Diego this week for an ICEA training because I get to listen to it. Anyways, you rock and so does Dr. Stu. That's really sweet. Where is she writing from? Well, she said drive to San Diego. So she, she might be local. LA, yeah, she yeah. might be local. If so. you are local, please let Bliss know where you're at. Yeah. Okay, so send her an email, Janine. Thanks, just. Justine. Oh, Justine. Well, Janine can do it too. No, Justine. Yeah, it's Justine. I love, we'd love to know. You don't have to tell us what hospital you're at, but no. we would love to know what locale, what locale you're, fr- you're from. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I go to San Diego all the time. Seems like an inordinate amount of breaches down in San Diego. <laughs> it's in the water. Yeah. I mean, it, it just seems like, yeah, I, I know that that's probably all I would get from San Diego and occasional twins. But you'd think I'd get as many, if not more, breaches in LA County, but I seem to get more from. Orange County and um, San Diego County than I do from uh, L.A. County. I have um, three breaches in my sphere this week, and they two of them are getting C-sections. And you would have been really proud of me because uh, one of them is I was doing her placenta. And, you know, I know that they're getting induced and they're having C-sections, and I usually don't question it because I don't want to, you know, they've already gone down that tunnel. and. Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, she said, my doctor says I have to have a C-section. And I said, I thought about it for a minute and I responded back and I just said, I just want to make sure that you know that that's not your only option, that your doctor informed you that there are providers here in Los Angeles who would do a vaginal breach for you. And if you have any other questions, let me know. Otherwise, I will, of course, pick up your placenta on Wednesday morning, you know. And she responded back and said she did, you know, she was informed, but she has decided to have a C-section, which is totally great i just want to know that she's informed because i know you've said many times that you know it's irresponsible for these doctors to not necessarily inform people that they do have an option and it's more about 
the doctor's comfort level or their skill level than it is about, you know, that yeah, it's not then, an option. And then I also, because just like you, I, I, I don't necessarily trust certain things about it. I think that sometimes they're informed like, well, there are, there are people that do vaginal breach delivery and you could have it, but but it's a dangerous procedure. Well, yes, <laughs> so yes. That's not really. Well, I'm not going to get into all of that, but I just want to make sure she knew. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a that's that's a moving letter to to know that 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 someone is stopping to think why are we doing something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets back to the same thing. I could probably ask her how long, Justine. Mm-hmm. How long <laughs> have you like when the baby comes out? Did you guys before you? Now put the baby on the mother's chest, but how long was it before the baby was initially just transferred to the warmer? Or, you know, do you still, if a woman's in lithotomy position, do we still wash off her bottom with iodine? I've seen it still. Yeah. And we, uh, the question is, why Why do we do that? The one I told you recently that I would love if the nurses would, would think about a little bit more is that a baby doesn't have to cry. We don't have to make a baby cry in the hospital in order to know that they're breathing it's either breathing or crying so if i could make a difference in that one i would be really excited well you just did (laughs) we'll see (laughs) i hope so you know you might you might make a difference in india or in uh in south america we have listeners i love the fact that i get emails from people i mean i think i told you we read an email recently from uh indian woman who lives in japan Mm. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. And she wrote right. back after I asked, does she speak? Um, so another thing I wanted to mention to you is, do you ever notice how when you start thinking about something, you start to see it everywhere or like a word or a particular like theory? Yeah, mi- Mini Coopers. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, when I first bought a Mini Cooper, I like, suddenly I was starting to see, I was seeing them everywhere. <laughs> yes. So I think I talked about it on the podcast that I had a fourth degree tear last year and, you know, I've stayed in touch with the mom and, um, you know, I, I always go back and really analyze, you know, was there something I could have done differently, you know, either in the prenatal care or any of that. So I've been thinking a lot about pelvic health um, and we're going to invite somebody to come and speak on the podcast soon. Um, But pelvic floor recovery in in situations like that and just in general for overall health. Um, But we shared a client, too, that had a pretty bad tear with her first delivery and then hired us for her home birth, just in case she had another bad tear. And I've shared her story with a couple women who have either had those situations just to know that she had a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did an interview this morning, um, home birth. Uh, it sounds like it wasn't a third or fourth degree tear, but it was one of those tears that, you know, kind of the whole vagina just basically exploded into a million different Yeah, I call it, it's like a stellate... Ex- Stellate lacerations. Yeah, you call that. a very prominent doctor that we like very much, who I'm not going to name, but um, he told her that it was in the top five worst tears that he had ever seen um, repaired. And she's decided this time to have a hospital delivery with this doctor who she really trusts and um, is talking to me about being her monitrice and helping her labor at home and then go in. And um, we talked a lot about the the actual scar tissue and how it was feeling and, you know, how that might affect her delivery. And But, you know, towards the end of the conversation, she said something about being a vegan and vegetarian and that she doesn't eat much protein. And my head just went ding. And so like later on in the conversation, she admitted that she's trying to eat more protein this time. And I said, you know, that could affect the entire 
nutrition can affect the integrity of your tissue. And just by the acknowledgement on her face, she was like, I know. And no one ever really told me that that might affect me. I was so proud of myself as being a vegan or vegetarian because I built this nine pound baby. And I thought, obviously, my nutrition's doing just fine. But I didn't realize that it could affect how my body would respond. Um, and I realized that that other mom that we had, she's also a vegan and vegetarian. So it just was something in my head that thought maybe there's some correlation to these really bad tears that we have, even in our care, um, where we pay a lot of attention to that, that hmm. there might be a correlation to the actual integrity of the tissue rather than the position itself. I think or, one of our students was also a vegan vegetarian and had a fairly decent sized tear yep, as yep, well. Yep, yep, So, uh, you know, I, I, I support I, a lot of them. Yeah, I, I don't, I, it's interesting. I mean, do you think it's a, I mean, do you think, it, do you have an, a, an, um, an explanation in your head? Do you think it's a collagen thing? Do you think it's a... It uh, really was something that just kind of con connected right before. But a lot of times we'll talk about, you know, nutrition can affect the tissues. But we're thinking about, you know, women in Africa or other places where they don't they don't really have access to good nutrition and they're eating a lot of rice and their water's not good. But it just kind of hit me like, wow, maybe there is a correlation. So anyways, I wanted to share that with you. And then there was a segue to this book that someone sent me. It's called Real Food for Pregnancy. It's by Lily Nichols. She's a um, RDN and a CDE, which I don't necessarily know what that is. Do you? Stu? RDN and a CDE. Uh, it must be some registered dietitian, of nu something nutrition, doctor of nutrition, mm -hmm. and CDE. I don't know. I'll look it up. So she sent me this book, asked if I wanted a copy electronically or hard copy. I mean, and I I like to read books the old fashioned way. Um, I I'm very interested in nutrition. I studied under Alex Evangelidi, and she is um, brilliant when it comes to nutrition. So it really sparked something in me. But I'm more of a simplistic person. Um, CDE is Certified Diabetes Educator. Um, and I think her previous book, yeah, it says best-selling author for real food for gestational diabetes, which I can see that if you're dealing with gestational diabetes, you might want to have something um, really detailed about, about your food and nutrition. Um, this has a lot of great information, but for me, it was a little bit of overkill because I like to... Um, keep things simple for women. I think we're over, we're inundated with information these days about what the right thing to do about every single moment of our day. So when I talk about nutrition, I do things that are, that are very simple, like a palm size portion of protein five times a day or eating a rainbow, getting a variety from our um, minerals and and um, vitamins from from looking at the colors in our foods, those kinds of things, so that we're not having to go. I have to read a book, and I have to be very specific about every single thing I I eat. However, if you are really interested in nutrition, if that's something that really brings you joy, I would say this book is beautiful and it's chock full of really good information. I did I didn't read it in its entirety, but I did go through some of some of the. Um, some of the highlights of it and some of the actual recipes. And I do feel like there's a lot of really great information in here. And for definitely for midwives or people who are studying, taking care of women in pregnancy, I think it's a great resource. So, so again, it's say the title, yeah. Real Food for Pregnancy, The Science and Wisdom of Optimal Prenatal Nutrition by Lily Nichols. 
Yeah, and, and along that line, I might as well put in a sh- uh, plug for my old friend and colleague, Jennifer Lang, who a couple of years ago wrote a book. She's uh, a doctor, she's, right? she OB? Was, she was an OBGYN. Yeah, uh, she was an, actually an oncologist, and, mm-hmm. and but she's now stopped being a doctor, and she's uh, doing all kinds of interesting stuff. And one of the things she did a couple of years ago was write a book called The Whole Nine Months. Mm. And you can find that on Amazon. It's called A Week-by-Week Pregnancy Nutrition Guide with Recipes for a Healthy Start. So as long as we're throwing those out there, I think um, your Real Food and Pre- uh, for Pregnancy book and the book The Whole Nine Months are two good places to start written by people who are knowledgeable and that we both know or recommend because sort of we... we know of them. And I think it's uh, it's always a, 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 a good way to recommend people is when you know. And I know Jennifer is very thorough what she does. Yeah. So I don't know Lily personally, but I did personally look at the book. By the so. way, yeah, you must have said it. Maybe I was looking this up while you said it. Uh, how did you come across that book? They just sent me an email and said, you know, did I want to oh. see a copy of this book? And I'm interested in nutrition. So I told her to send me a copy. The author wrote, did that? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. famous. Yeah, you are famous. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know why they picked you? <laughs> you had to see my shoulder shrug. No. Do you know why they picked you? Um, no. Must Maybe they maybe you have a friend in common. Maybe there's somebody, a connection in common. Maybe. I think that's great. Yeah. Th- that happens. Right. So you're getting free stuff. Yeah. Send me free stuff. You're a big, sh- you're a big shot. Send me free stuff. I want to yeah. check out your stuff. Yeah. You got your own <laughs> business now and you, and you, uh, you're you the co-host of Dr. Stu's podcast. So I do. Right, look at the exposure you're getting. People know you from all over. Whenever I go someplace and they talk about the podcast, they talk about Bliss. I want to meet Bliss. She's so cool. Come and meet me. We yeah. should have a little like um, cocktail party she, at your place. Well, we'll, we'll to, someday we'll write a book and we'll go on a book tour. Okay. Okay. That'll be good. That sounds After good. After we do our uh, webinar, you need a new book. After we do our webinar that you're going to organize. I'm going to do that webinar. I think that's going to be awesome. Did to we talk, talk about dads? that in this podcast? No, that was the previous podcast. Oh, we talked about doing a um, a webinar where we could talk about um, birth options because we used to do it at the sanctuary called um, Nervous Anticipation, and we just we got a question about it, and so we thought that would be kind of cool. So I'll plan that for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's easy. All right. Anything else on your mind today? Oh, yeah, but you don't want to get into my mind. Let's move on. <laughs> no? Are you sure? I'm sure. Because what, what we have next is sort of, uh, is, you know, we, it's uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're, this is going to be sort of an, an ugly story. I'll give a, a trigger warning to people. We're going to mm-hmm. do a story, uh, sent, uh, a letter sent to us by Brittany Rose. Um, it's long enough that I'm going to read it, uh, so forgive me for the next five minutes or so while I read it, but it's important. I was told by... A radio a friend of mine who's a radio expert never to monologue on the on the on the podcast, but but it's my podcast, so I can do what I want. <laughs> and you thought it you thought it was important in terms of perspective for to read the whole thing. Well, so. yeah, it, because because obstetric violence is becoming much more talked about these days and commonplace and in the forefront, and because there's such great people out there like Hermine Hayes Klein and Kristen Pascucci, and we've got uh, Kristen's got her movie coming out um, called Mother May I. Hopefully, it's not out yet. They're still looking for funding. They're going to Sun. I think they were at Sundance last week. Oh, yeah, maybe uh, that's why I heard looking, about it. Looking mm-hmm. for some somebody to help get the film out there. So hopefully, it's being close to being out. It'll be great. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm I'm uh, a big fan of Kristen's and what she does. And 
so anyway, and then there's um, is it Don Thompson too? That uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that she, she what's what's her organization called? Do you remember? Not Drawing off the top a, of drawing my head. a blank. If, anyway, yeah, if you said it, I good, don't yeah, me too. She's awesome. anyway, good stuff. And so, so when I read a story like this, you know, I get I get really upset because so many of these things are so unnecessary. Yes, and you just wonder where the humanity was. You, it was like the like Justine who wrote you about you know I I just wasn't even thinking about why I'm doing certain things, and if people would just stop to think, then some of these things wouldn't happen. But but it just they become so robotic sometimes and they forget that the person they're dealing with is actually a, a person having one of the most momentous yes. experiences of their life okay so please bear with me here we go from Brittany Rose uh, I'm not sure where Brittany's from maybe it says it in here someplace um, I'm hoping to get your insight dear Dr. Stu I'm hoping to get your insight on some trauma I experienced three weeks ago during my unmedicated VBAC and this was dated on January 20th of this year. A little background. I had a cesarean three and a half years ago with my first daughter. I was induced for one high blood pressure reading. Yep. I'm pausing so that people can soak that in. One high blood pressure reading. No diagnostic testing for preeclampsia was done, and my blood pressure remained normal or even low throughout my induction. Okay. It led to one intervention after another, uh, ended up getting an epidural. After 16 hours, I was dilated to nine centimeters. However, the OB said baby was not descending and pushed for a cesarean for failure to progress. His reasoning was not that I had been flat on my back for hours. Instead, estimating my baby was likely too big for my pelvis. Pause. Another pregnant pause here. Excuse the pun. Baby ended up being six and a half pounds. In the years following, I felt some birth trauma surrounding her birth due to the misinformation and unnecessary intervention. Of course. So this is a this is a completely unnecessary cesarean section. She was induced for no reason. One elevated blood pressure is not a reason to. What is it. the actual uh, thing that we're supposed to protocol that we're supposed to follow? Well, it depends how you define hypertension. It's based on what her blood pressures are before, but it should be two uh, two different readings, six hours apart. Right. Oh, you're testing me. No, I'm just, I wanted you to oh, okay. highlight that. And also, if someone is telling you that they think that they need to induce you, then you can advocate for yourself to get a, to get a panel to make sure that your, your values are actually not that you don't have That you don't have severe preeclampsia and all you might have is, is a stressful day and some elevated blood pressure. Right. right. Unfortunately, you have to advocate for yourself sometimes too. Right, and and even and even having elevated blood pressure, and I don't know how high she doesn't say, but having one elevated blood pressure uh, isn't necessarily reason to induce if the biophysical profile is normal. Yes, and I doesn't really say how many weeks she was pregnant when they did this. Thirty nine? No, uh, no, it doesn't okay. say that. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so a lot of unnecessary interventions, a lot of a lot of sadness and, and regret on her part. However, so far, this is very common. I hear this all the time. So that, so far, this is being done all Common, the time. but unacceptable. Totally. But, but common. Okay. Absolutely. In the following three years, I did everything possible to educate myself and prepare for a VBAC. When I got pregnant with my second daughter, I was hoping for a home birth. However, we could not swing paying out of pocket at the time. Damn it. I researched like crazy and chose... By the way, I would say that for people who have the option, like in my state, if you're looking for an insurance and you're thinking about getting pregnant and you're looking for insurance that covers home, booth, home birth 
the health sharing ministries do a great job for that. Uh, I know there's Liberty Health Share is the one that I know best, but there are several other ones. And if you can change insurances before you get pregnant, uh, they pay 100% and they pay it prior to delivery. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I researched like crazy and chose Sutter Davis uh, Hospital, I guess, in Davis, California, due to their low cesarean section rate. Quoted about 15%, which is excellent. And all the positive reviews from my local ICANN organization. Mm -hmm. ICANN being the International Cesarean Awareness Network. They do great work, by the way. Almost every community has one. They They have a collaborative midwife OB model of care, and I would see a different provider each appointment. Not my favorite not my favorite uh, mode of prenatal care, but in a, in a group practice, that's how it's done. I felt respected and supported by everyone I saw. I was told there were no additional restrictions for me having a VBAC. I could have intermittent monitoring and water birth would be allowed. Okay, so guess what happens? Bait and switch. Sort of, yes. Well, but for, for, the, for an obvious reason. I went into spontaneous labor at 40 weeks and four days. When we arrived at the hospital, the OB on call was someone I had never heard of. Mm. Come to find out, she was new to the practice. She immediately came off as cold and lacked compassion. I was forced to have continuous monitoring. I was able to labor in the tub until the monitors were not getting consistent readings. I asked three times to refuse the continuous monitoring, but the nurse ignored me each time. Finally, I asked to sign a consent Refusing, well, she was well-informed, though. Yes, she was. Uh And asked to speak with the OB. The OB never came to talk to me, and the nurse threatened that if I refused, I would not be allowed back in the tub. Mm -hmm. No cookies for you. (laughs) No dessert. To bed without dessert. All right. Just having memories of when I was a kid. Flashbacks. You know, if you don't eat those peas, you can't have dessert. (laughs) I don't know why that flashed into my head, but it just No, did. but she's being treated like a child. That's why. Yes. Oh, I guess that's why. Yes. Oh, that explains it. Mm-hmm. Right. My labor progressed well. There was no meconium. Oh, excuse me. There was meconium when my water broke and variable readings on the monitors. However, when they would get a good reading, the baby looked just fine. From my first contraction to being able to push was about nine hours. However, around nine centimeters, the nurse mentioned C-section due to the inconsistent monitor readings. Luckily, that was the only time it was mentioned. At nine and a half centimeters, I had a slight cervical lip that they said could be pushed out of the way. I pushed for an hour and 45 minutes, and with every push, the OB would put her hand inside of me. At first, it was to push away the cervix, but she continued to do this almost the whole time I pushed, which was extremely painful. I initially pushed in a squatting position, then was told to turn over and be in a semi-reclined position on the bed. I'm assuming that's she's not on her tub, back. And she's not in the tub no, anymore. She's, yeah. mm-hmm. So she's sort of in the thotomy position, I guess. Oh, semi-reclined means on her side. Because she said pushing with only one leg in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Towards the end, they dropped the head of the bed, pushed up both my legs, despite me saying how uncomfortable this position was. Baby's head was born, and the OB called an emergency for shoulder dystocia. I felt she was panicked. I pushed at the next contraction and she put her hands inside and yanked baby out. These are her words. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's why we're reading it in its entirety. And it's her words, which means that's her reality. Yeah. Right. The doula who witnessed it explained to me it was the most traumatizing delivery she had ever seen. 
and says how rough the OB yanked her from me. My baby was immediately taken from me and required resuscitation, however, was responsive and doing perfect within minutes. She had APGARs of four and six. As my baby was away from me, the OB starts to tell me how babies with shoulder dystocias can be permanently paralyzed without even assessing the severity of, of her baby's injury. She ended up being perfectly fine with perfect mobility of both arms and has no issues since. The OB told me immediately after the subsequent vaginal bursts, after that subsequent vaginal burst, after shoulder dystocia, are contraindicated, I would need a cesarean section if I had any more kids. Jesus. Not true. Say that a little louder. Not true. Not that part. Jesus. Yeah, that part. Okay. I achieved an unmedicated VBAC. However, what happened after my birth was extremely traumatizing. She goes on. I hope people, I, I, I think that everybody's mesmerized at home. I hope you are when you're listening to this because I've read it now for the third time and I'm still, and you're hearing it for the first time mm-hmm. and I'm watching your face. Mm-hmm. Minutes after my baby was born, the OB was tugging on the cord to deliver the placenta. Could, could, it, get, could it get worse? Yes. <laughs> Not giving it a chance to come on its own. It was birthed completely intact within minutes. Pitocin was started prophylactically since I was a VBAC. However, I had very minimal bleeding. The OB then inserted her arm hand into my uterus and started feeling around. I was unsure what she was doing and started screaming in pain, begging her to stop. Mind you, I was unmedicated. Mm-hmm. She said she was assessing my scar, that it was intact but thin and feeling for clots. I have a comment on that, but I'll get to it because she asked the question at the end, so we'll get to that. I had tearing on to my labia minora above my urethra and clitoris. Most was stitched, but not the labia minora. The OB said it, ha- it would heal better without stitches. My doula explained after that the tearing did not happen naturally. It happened when the in- she inserted her hand to pull out my ba- pull my baby out. Don't know if that's true or not, but that's probably her, that, yeah. Yeah. I asked for ibuprofen while being stitched up, and an hour or more later, the nurse finally brought me some. It's a hospital. So she didn't have lidocaine. I'm assuming she had lidocaine. Okay. I can't imagine it, that would be barbaric to stitch her up without lidocaine. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mention it, but I'm assuming that, that she wanted the ibuprofen for the, mainly for the cramping, too. Mm-hmm. But it still took an hour and a half to get it to her. Right, got it. I finally looked at my vagina about a week postpartum. By the way, that's the thing I will tell people, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't Say, look. Don't look, right. Yeah, don't look for at least six weeks. <laughs> Cause, it cause, changed so much. Yes, it does. And sometimes it looks horrible. And uh, it does. by six weeks, it looks fine. I almost said something really inappropriate. Can you mouth it for me so I'll, I'll say it? <laughs> no, I'll tell him later and he, he'll he tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. She's turning it. <laughs> red. Bliss is, Bliss is getting embarrassed. That doesn't happen. Oh, it does. It what does. were you going to say? Frank and pussy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Don't look. Yeah. Just don't look. That's a midwife term. I don't know if it is, but now it is. Sorry if I offended anybody. It'll be in our book. <laughs> It'll be in our book. It'll be one of the moments. All right. <laughs> yeah. Nobody on anybody listening to Dr. Stu's <laughs> podcast is not offended by Frank and Pussy. Okay, good. Okay. Do you know that they I'm sorry to interrupt this for a second, but that I used to not be able to say that word and they thought they used to whisper behind my back that I would never become a midwife because I couldn't, you couldn't say the word, P, yeah. the P word. Yeah. They're like, she'll never become a midwife. Yeah. So there I'm a midwife. And yeah. But I you say, say Yoni. I do say Yoni. I can yeah. say that word. Yeah. Now. I just Every, didn't know. Everybody ever. says Yoni. Okay. <laughs> I never said Yoni until I heard you guys say Yoni. I, well, never heard, I didn't even know what Yoni was. I thought Yoni was like a singer uh, <laughs> who, does, who does new age music or is that Yanni? 
I guess that's Yanni, right? <laughs> we're so off topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we're not off topic. This is, this is our <laughs> podcast. We can do whatever we want. I finally looked at my vagina about a week postpartum and saw one side of my labia pretty much hanging off. Mm-hmm. It tore from the top by my clitoris and ripped halfway down. However, no attempt was made to repair it. I'm hoping it can repair it after the fact. I finally have my postpartum appointment next week. Oh, I'm so sorry. My doula felt like the OB intentionally was rough with me, like she wanted me to fail, pushed for me to get out of the tub because she was likely not comfortable with water bursts. I can't help but feel that like I was not properly re- repaired out of some sort of revenge. I f- you know, again, even if that's not true, if that's how she feels, yeah. then we didn't do our, then the job wasn't done well. I feel extremely violated as to how my body was treated after birth. I had fought so hard to have an unmedicated VBAC, and while I achieved that, it is being overshadowed by the compassionless care I was provided by this OB. I have researched birthplaces like crazy and was so confident in my choice, yet as luck would have it, received the only OB I did not know and someone who clearly does not have the same mindset of natural birth as the other practitioners in the group. Here are the questions that I'm hoping you receive your insight on. Okay, so now... Tell Tell me her name again. What's mama's name? Brittany. Brittany, okay. Right. Uh, one, how reliable is consistent monitoring and is there any reason it would be indicated with a VBAC whose labor was progressing naturally without complication? Well, at home, we don't do continuous fetal monitoring. So, um, however, to know that we are having an issue with the scar dehiscening, is that what you would say? Separating. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that is a first indicator is the baby's heart rate. But we can um, still monitor with intermittent monitoring. And you've talked about continuous fetal monitoring from a doctor's perspective and knowing what you guys know now through the studies that the statistics it are not better. It just leads to higher interventions and higher C-section rate. Right. Um, it is often standard protocol for hospitals that allow VBAC to do continuous monitoring. It probably isn't scientific. It's more a medical legal uh, or uh, labor-saving device as opposed to uh, intermittent monitoring. But that is the protocol. Uh, As Bliss said, we don't use it at home, and our outcomes are fine. Well, our statistics are actually better than in the hospital. Well, it would be the same as having fine outcomes, wouldn't it? (laughs) 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 All right. Depends on the definition of fine. 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 Right. Fine. I know somebody used to hate when I when I would say that word. Well, because fine could be great, yeah, or fine it, could, it could be, be like it can be dismissive as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. okay, is it standard or indicated for a provider to manually feel inside the uterus to assess the integrity of the uterine scar? No, it used to be. Okay, I've never seen it done, it, and I definitely when VBAC used to be was first being brought back, and whether it was the eighties or nineties, we were in the hospital told that we were supposed to check the scar. Okay. But again, most of those people were, you know, had epidurals, were medicated. Then it was realized that, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what the scar is. Plus, it's extremely uncomfortable. So the answer to your question is, in 2019, is it standard to do that? The answer is no. No. It is not. Unless you're bleeding excessively. Right. Or, or unless they're looking, or, or, or there's some, something weird. Mm-hmm. Right. That, no. So that was unnecessary in my humble opinion. Okay. How is shoulder dystocia typically addressed and is a subsequent vaginal birth contraindicated? No. And I actually, I'm, I'm plugging another podcast, but um, I did a very thorough podcast with Elliot Berlin and um, another OB about 
about shoulder dystocia because I was supporting a client um, who had had a shoulder dystocia the first time and actually, like you, researched her choices very thoroughly and was told by multiple practitioners that she should probably have a C-section. Um, but it is, it, it, just because you have one the first time does not necessarily mean that you're going to because a lot of times what's happening is the baby's rotation um, does not complete. So it's it's stuck in a position where it can't get past the pubic bone. So what we need to do is rotate the baby. And in at home, um, it usually means we're just changing positions and we're trying a couple different positions to um, change the shape of the pelvis and the diameter of the pelvis and hopefully help that baby rotate. And most of the time that eliminates it. If that doesn't, then we do go in and do hand maneuvers to help rotate the baby or pull out um, the baby's posterior arm to uh, change the diameter so that the baby can come through. Yeah, I, I agree with Bliss 100%. And I'd also say that that it is standard medical teaching that if you have a shoulder dystocia, that the uh, option of a repeat cesarean section should be offered. I get a feeling from the way you've described this physician and the fact that she wanted to check your uterine scar and told you you needed to have a repeat C-section in all future pregnancies. Is this is a person who who is sort of, maybe she's young because you said she just joined the practice, which is also sort of like textbook uh, has blinders on. It's not like just is it is not able to take information and then assimilate it in a way that's not concrete. Mm-hmm. So if that's if that, you know what I'm saying by that, very mm-hmm. con. She's a very concrete thinker. I find sometimes the really new new OBs can cannot want to deviate because they don't have enough experience with seeing that things don't always have to be done exactly. And the fact that you assessed that she was panicked when this happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, it sounds like it was easily resolved. I mean, if it was if it wasn't easily resolved, you probably would it would have been taken a lot longer and stuff and, and that sort of thing. So whether or not you even really had a shoulder dystocia is is hard to know because. Your, your description is too brief and we can't, can't say. But even when things aren't going well, it's, it, you know, an experienced or, or, uh, or just a commonsensical physician, their job is not to look panicked. Right. This right. was the point. This is a point that I said on the other podcast. It's like there's so much fear around these things that there's all these procedures and things that we're doing in order to avoid something like this happening. But that's why they hire us. They hire us in case there's a shoulder dystocia or there's a hemorrhage or something is going on. Like we're supposed to be the ones who walk in and and address these things. You can be panicked inside. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I have a tough birth. You know, sometimes I'll go in the bathroom, check my blood pressure afterwards, and it'll be sky high. But, but on the outside, I tend to, you know, I've watched myself on video sometimes in some really tough births, and and I'm I'm remarkably calmer you than are. I am inside. I know. I know. Every when now you're and nervous. then, yeah. And when I am get nervous, mm-hmm. then the people are really nervous around me because mm-hmm. when that happens. But it's been very rare. And I will tell you that the fact that she's explaining to you that here's the here's the bad things that can happen with a shoulder dystocia before she even assesses your baby. It's probably justifying her actions more than anything. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like, oh, can't can't that wait? Um, it reminds me of the case we talked about in the previous podcast, where I had this transport to the hospital, and the doctor who was very suspicious of all of us because we were home birth people spent ten minutes talking about how she can't guarantee this baby will come out fine. 
mm-hmm. while we're just sitting there. It's like, well, why are we sitting here and you telling us this? Why are we like Doing getting something. ready to get back to the operating room? I mean, right. why are we having this conversation ahead of time and and you know and we don't even know there's going to be a problem, but you're already you're already covering your tush. Right. Right. Yeah. It's 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 very traumatic, and I and I f- I feel Brittany for you. You know, I think I wrote here. I you know I said. I just wrote, whew, your story is very real and I thank you for sharing it. I said, can I have your phone number? <laughs> I would much prefer our dialogue to be in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Because there's no way I could respond to you by typing. That's why I brought it to the podcast mm-hmm. so that that you could, we, everyone could get a feel for it and listen, I could comment on it. Because this, this is not the kind of thing you can text back and forth and get a feel for it. Yeah, and the thing I would say about this kind of experience, this the trauma that, you know, I think there's a lot of trauma that happens with birth workers because we know what's possible. And sometimes it goes right over mom's heads because they they just are glad that the baby's fine and they don't even know that this was a violation, you know, but obviously you've been very well educated and you um, you're aware that things did not necessarily have to be this way. So even though we're addressing your questions and educating you about the information, I don't necessarily know that that's going to totally address the trauma and the disappointment that you feel. No, it won't. But one of the things you can do and when you're ready for it in, in a constructive fashion is to meet with the, the head of the group of doctors that you were with and have a conversation about, about this and say you were disappointed because you'd met everybody and you brought somebody new in the practice and I didn't meet them yet and I, they didn't know me and that was not what we had talked about when I came into your practice and have a conversation and then explain to her these things that happened to you. It may not make a difference, but it may. They may actually take that doctor aside and review it with her. I mean, you said that it says here that I'm hoping to take this information to share at my postpartum appointment and hopefully prevent other women from experiencing mm-hmm. the same traumas that I have. So you're doing very something very constructive, Brittany, and that's the best thing that you can do out of a situation that's already passed. Yeah, and I, I also find that a lot of these experiences when women when women do share um, to try and help other women advocate for themselves and, and, and so continue to do your own personal work of doing the healing and talk to other women, and I think that makes a huge difference for us as well. And then she even she ends it by saying that uh, you know her second baby was eight pounds seven ounces, which is full two pounds bigger than the baby she was told was too big for her that she had a C section for. Right, it's often very so. She inaccurate. says, "I guess my pelvis would have been fully capable of birthing a six and a half pound baby." Yes, you guessed correctly, Brittany. Yes, and we're so glad that you and your baby are doing well, and really happy that you reached out to us. Right, and anybody else who uh, you know, we we love getting our mail. We don't always review everything on on the air here, but we do respond to all the emails that we get. Um, we love hearing your stories. Sometimes they are tragic like this one. Sometimes they're great like the one from Justine. <laughs> Got her name right. <laughs> and and so those sorts of things make, make me very happy when, when people have taken what we've said in our podcast and have, um, and then put them to good use. We are, we are making a difference. Makes us really happy to make a difference. Yeah. I think we're having so, technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is why I, I pay. John fell asleep. Uh, no. The internet's the internet not working. All right. Okay. So, you, sh- you hum it. You go ahead. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I give John the signal. It's like, 
Okay, where's the music? Where's the music? Where's the music? Yes, we're very professional here at, at Dr. Stu's podcast. But we're fun. We are fun. And it's fun <laughs> to see Bliss every couple of weeks. So anyway, it's great to talk to you guys. This has been Dr. Stu's podcast number 139. Uh, oh, by the way, I, w- I will give a preview. I don't know if it already played or if we'll play it after this one, but we have an encore. Uh, Bliss did mention that uh, she did a podcast with Dr. Elliot Berlin. That's called Informed Pregnancy Podcast, and that's another one you should subscribe to. And uh, Bliss and I were on with Elliot, and the cast from, well, the, the cast, the... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anyway, maybe John, you'll she'll dub in the music later. It's the rain. Actually, you can dub that? Okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, we're going to, we, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a documentary coming out called These Are My Hours, uh, where a woman named Emily uh, uh, basically is the sole person in the movie. Ah, so powerful. Right. And uh, so we got to interview them with, along with Elliot. It's also on Elliot's podcast, but we're going to post a, a, an encore edition on, on Dr. Sue's podcast. It won't have a number, it'll be like a, a special. Special edition. Special edition. So anyway, again, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for putting up with this. <laughs> oh, now we got the music playing just right. Oh, it's playing from his phone. Amazing what you can do. All right, so we'll see you next time. Uh, please find us on uh, Facebook. Find us on iTunes. Take that stupid purple app off your phone and uh, and link to it on, on their smartphone and put us on there and uh, listen to Dr. Sue's podcast and keep keep writing. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye.